The first reading can be followed on page 710 of the Old Testament section of the Bibles and is taken from Isaiah chapter 52, verses 13 to 15. The Suffering Servant See, my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be very high. Just as there were many who were astonished at him, so marred was his appearance beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of mortals. So he shall startle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which had not been told to them, they shall see. And that which they had not heard, they shall contemplate. Hear the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke, chapter 9, verses 51 to 56. Glory to you, O Lord. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him, because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So Lord, may this message drop drop like the rain and distill like the dew. May I proclaim your name and ascribe greatness to you. In Jesus' name, amen. During my sabbatical, I visited many amazing and, and special places. But the purpose of of going to these places wasn't so much to be a visitor, but to be a pilgrim. The difference between the two is this. A visitor passes through a place, whereas for the pilgrim, the place passes through them. In other words, the places that you visit leave a mark and impression upon you and change you. And being back now two weeks, the more I reflect upon my sabbatical, I now see increasingly in a richer and deeper way things that I didn't see at that time. And how those places that I did visit have started to change me. I've also though noticed that this, this change wasn't just, didn't just happen from the places I visited. It was also being shaped by the time I spent here. The time that I had, if you like, to rest, to renew. 
that continued this journey of recreation. But I remember one particular day early in my sabbatical. And in it, I remember finding a prayer that someone prayed as they were about to go on a pilgrimage. And if you like, I amended the prayer slightly and I made it the prayer that I would pray as part of my sabbatical. The prayer was from a woman who actually, it just so happened, was, was visiting the Holy Land for her pilgrimage. But this was the prayer that I prayed. Lord, I seek with all my heart to be open to the leading of the Spirit on this sabbatical. May my heart and soul bear fruit. May I be good soil for the work of the Spirit. May my life change direction, if need be. May I be willing to bend like a willow in the wind of the Spirit. Change me, bend me, break me, if need be. Uproot me. I am yours. Amen. When you think about that prayer, it's a pretty dangerous prayer to pray. Because we're inviting the Holy Spirit to have freedom. To have freedom in my life. But at the same time, it also brings an energy. It brings an excitement. It brings a a fullness of life that Jesus promised. Almost as if a new chapter was beginning to open up in my life. And at first, as I said, I I didn't notice the differences. But as I've come back... I've seen the difference. For all of us, there are moments in our lives where new chapters begin. You know, relocation, a new job. We fall in love. But a new chapter can also begin in our lives from where we are now without something big necessarily happening. And it's with that idea of a new chapter in mind that we now enter this gospel reading from Luke. You see, when Luke wrote his gospel, he didn't write it with all these lovely chapter numbers and verse numbers in them. They came, if you like, with the Reformation. That said, even without the chapter numbers, even without the verse numbers, if we took them out, and if we started to read his gospel afresh, we would still begin to see a structure and a movement to his writing. And we'd find, in particular, three distinct movements in his gospel. The first one of those movements occurs just after Jesus has come out of the wilderness. And he starts his ministry and his work in Galilee under the power of the Holy Spirit. The second movement occurs, as we heard tonight in our reading in Luke chapter 9, And verse 51, where we read that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. It's a movement that, if you like, takes us all through what we know as Lent. Until Jesus arrives on Palm Sunday on a donkey in Jerusalem. And that's where, if you like, the third movement begins. But it's the second movement that's the focus tonight. 
If you were here last Sunday, you'll remember I mentioned how the big challenge for any of us when we look at these passages today is not to look at them through the lens of our 21st century Western eyes that have been trained in a particular way and conditioned in a particular way to look at, look at any text. Why? Because the Bible wasn't written in the 21st century. It was written in the first century and before. It was written to a completely different culture that asks different questions from the questions that we naturally have been trained to ask today. It doesn't mean that those questions aren't relevant. It doesn't mean that those questions aren't important. But what it does mean is that there is an important question to be able to answer first. And that question is this. What does God want me to do with what I'm reading? With this passage from Luke chapter 9, what does God want me to do with what I'm reading? You see, once we begin to ask and answer that question, the crucial verse to understanding what's going on is verse 51. And in particular, the verbs that we translate as taken up and set his face. You see, if we can understand what they mean, we can understand all that Jesus is then asking us to do. The verb we translate as, as taken up is one of those verbs that we can, we can look at it and we think, well, what does taken up mean? It kind of seems such an ordinary verb, yet it's loaded with meaning. It's drawing us and he wants us to think of Jesus in this way. As someone who will be taken up to Jerusalem, but it's also thinking about the complete Easter story. It's getting us to think of Jesus in terms of him being taken up in terms of his resurrection and taken up in terms of his ascension. It's the complete picture rather than just thinking about his crucifixion. The verb we translate in English as set his face is reminding us that Jesus, there's no indecisiveness in the journey that Jesus is about to take. To set your face is to set some particular journey in a direction that you're going to go with focus, with purpose. Therefore, when we ask that question, what does God want us to do? It is simply this. To live our lives with purpose, with focus, following the crucified, risen, ascended Jesus. What does that life look like? Well, over the pages that follow, if you were to read the next 10 chapters of Luke's gospel, we'll start to get a picture of it in the conversations he will have in the almost quiet moments with his disciples, in the encounters that he will have with the religious authorities, with the parables and stories he will tell, and through the people he meets. Yet perhaps the best summary we can find of what that life looks like is the threefold summary that we see earlier in chapter 9. The way that we often call the way of the cross at Lent, 
where Jesus says in verse 23, just after he's told them for the first time, his disciples, that he will suffer and he will die and he will be raised back to life three days later. And just after he's asked them, who do you say I am? And Peter has famously declared, you are the Christ. And then Jesus starts to talk about what it means to be one of his disciples and he'll say these words. If any want to become my followers... Let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. To deny oneself is not an easy thing to do, is it? Because if we're honest, or maybe it's just me, we don't want to say no to our selfishness. And if you like, get out of the driver's seat of our life. I remember chatting to someone last year who was concerned not so much that they seemed to be losing their faith, but rather they were more concerned about how little that seemed to bother them. And at the time, I was trying to find it difficult to give a response. It was one of those moments where you're just hoping for some inspiration to come, and it wasn't sadly there. And then I went home and thought about that conversation. And then I saw why they couldn't, why they wouldn't be bothered. Because when they told me what their life was like without Jesus, all they were doing was filling their lives with things they liked doing. Never underestimate how deluded we can get with our love of being selfish. But it's not just a negative thing. To deny oneself is also to say yes to something. It's to say yes to Jesus. To let him drive the car of our lives. It's a radical call to embrace the life of Jesus' teaching. And will take us all at times in a direction we may find uncomfortable. If nothing less because we have that want and desire to be in control. And we may find ourselves perhaps going down Generosity Street or Kindness Avenue when we don't particularly want to go that way. Or maybe being led down Mercy Lane or Patience Road. But by taking that route, that's how the life that Jesus promised, the kingdom of God, breaks in. And a little bit of heaven is seen on earth. And Lent gives us this time to pause, to ponder, and to pray. To take the foot, if you like, off the accelerator of our lives and invite the Holy Spirit to reveal who's driving the car of our life. And then, if needed, to change the seat in which we sit. To take up your cross. And then the word added, daily. It's an everyday reminder that the journey we walk is one that could and perhaps should involve some level of rejection and death. For some Christians in our, our world today, those words are taken literally. If you are reading this, I don't know how many of you read this through the year, this secret church, yearly devotional that's produced by the organization Open Doors. And if you, if you read that, if you read last Monday's entry, you would have 
been reminded about how something simply to be baptised in Afghanistan is punishable by death. It's a reminder, as I was reminded about at least a couple of times on my sabbatical, that the most persecuted people in the world are Christians. That like with Jesus, they carry their own cross to their death. Yet perhaps in our more comfortable surrounding, Jesus' words are a daily reminder to say no. To say no to the love of this world and all that it offers. I often hear that love expressed in words similar to this. I want to focus in this season of my life on dot, dot, dot. Complete the sentence. My family or my sport, or my career, or my children, or my house, not that they might not be important. But they kind of become excuses that rob us of the fullness of life that God offers to each one of us. And Jesus' words are instead, perhaps for us, a daily reminder to live, yes, a sacrificial life, but one that confronts the world of sin and hate and indifference with the God of love, forgiveness, and power. It moves the journey to the cross away from, yes, a place of suffering and death, but more to one of love and victory. Or as the great theologian Karl Barth once said, quoting a famous atheist philosopher, only where graves are is their resurrection. And Jesus' words are an invitation to embrace Embrace Jesus' love in our lives and practice resurrection now. Lent gives us the time to pause, to ponder, and to pray and in the journey of our lives and invite the Holy Spirit to reveal where might our love of this world need to be hung up? Where do we need to walk today with Jesus' cross of love and victory? To deny ourselves, to take up our cross daily, and then Jesus says, to follow me. You know, when Jesus sets out resolutely from Galilee to go to Jerusalem, what you may not know is from the encounters that follow, Jesus doesn't take the usual nor the direct route. There's no indecisiveness to Jesus' course of action, but it does have some unusual twists and surprising decisions. Why might that be? On my sabbatical, if you were to kind of pin me down and say, what was my favorite adventure? I would say that it was walking with George through what is known as the Jesus Trail where you walk, you can backpack it as well from from Nazareth to Capernaum. Quite literally, you follow, in many cases, in the footsteps of where Jesus walked. But as we travelled, what became apparent is many times we didn't take the direct route. We were going the right way, but as we meandered, we sometimes meandered through the hills. Sometimes we knew we were in the right area, but we were kind of a bit lost. And on other occasions, we could see the route that we were to take. 
and we were tempted to take the shortcut and take matters into our own hands like James and John do in our reading when it would have been a mistake. And so why might it be that Jesus doesn't take the direct route? And is it not because the story of our lives with Jesus often meander and don't take the direct route? Sometimes we struggle and get lost. On other occasions, our sin gets in the way. Then on other times, Jesus wants to take us the scenic route. And he wants to take the time to show us something beautiful that we might miss otherwise. Lent gives us this time to pause, to ponder, to pray. In the journey of our lives and invite the Holy Spirit to reveal on what particular journey is Jesus calling you to follow him this Lent? Just before my sabbatical, I got the news that a very famous Christian of the 20, late 20th, early 21st century had died. He was called Eugene Peterson, who wrote the Message Bible. He once described what it means to be that follower of Jesus who denies himself, who takes up their cross and follows him as simply this, a long obedience in the same direction. Let us pray. When I finish this prayer in a moment, I'll give a, a few minutes just in the silence for each one of us to perhaps pause, ponder, pray what the Holy Spirit is inviting each one of us to do tonight. So, Holy Spirit of God, you desire to know each one of us better. As we come at this start of another year on this journey of Lent, and in the silence now as we pray, you would come and reveal to us where you want each one of us to go this Lent. Whether it be in that question of who is in the driver's seat of our life. or what it means to take up your cross daily 
or where Jesus might want to take you this Lent and reveal to you the next stage of your life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Holy God, our lives are laid open before you. Rescue us from the chaos of sin and through the death of your Son, bring us healing and make us whole. In Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.